Rose, who would be making that climb to the tower in the morning. She smiled a little. Walking in the village a week ago, she had seen him watching her, as she had seen other boys watch other girls. And when she had come back from the market, arms laden with seaweed-wrapped fish, he had contrived to be in the road. He hadn't said much, in fact, he'd seemed tongue-tied by his own audacity, but he had carried her fish up the hill to the tower for her, and when she'd smiled her thanks, he'd turned as red as the seaweed before stammering, "'You're welcome,' and almost running back to the village. But at least he'd seen her as someone besides spirit-singer Nykos' granddaughter, some day to be a singer in her own right, as though that made her some kind of witch. Everyone else in Cove Drift treated her with oh-so-careful respect.' When Davin and the others returned from their first sailings, they would be full-fledged members of society. When I make my solo journey, thought Amaranth, when I become a full-fledged spirit singer, I'll be cut off from society forever. Suddenly chilled, she turned back to the warmth of her bed, but it was a long time before she slept. She woke to the sound of trumpets. Outside her window the sky was graying with dawn, and looking out she saw people already filling the streets of Cove Drift, their laughter and shouting echoing up to the tower as they prepared to send off the three boys. The sight and sound of merriment brought back full force the knight's lonely thoughts. "'Are you up, Amaranth?' her grandfather called from down the hall. "'Yes, grandfather,' she shouted back. Putting away her black mood, she hurriedly grabbed her ceremonial clothes from the rough-carved wardrobe by the door, dropping the long, sleeveless white robe over her head and belting it around her waist with a scarlet sash. Around her neck she placed her emblem, a tear-shaped black stone the size of her thumb, strung on a golden chain, and on each wrist she clasped three thin silver bracelets that jingled like bells as she moved. Finally she slipped on her white sandals." As she straightened, the sky suddenly tinged with red, and the cheering died away. She looked out and saw three distant figures beginning the quarter-mile climb from the village to the tower. Amaranth ran out of her room, not turning right down the hallway this time, but instead going straight down worn stone steps and through a blue helmet hanging into the spirit chamber, where her grandfather made ready for the linking. The long, narrow chamber had no windows. The only light came from the small fireplace to Amaranth's left, and brass lamps hung on chains from the ceiling's smoke-stained beams. Blue and gold curtains covered the walls above heavy wooden benches. In the center of the room was an oblong dais of black stone, three feet high, between two simple chairs of dark wood. At the head of the dais stood a single bronze candlestick, its unlit white candle at eye level for her grandfather, who sat in one of the chairs, eyes closed and fingertips pressed together. Amaranth was shocked by how old he looked. The lines in his face seemed deeper, the flesh of his chin more sagging. Even his shoulder-length hair seemed wider. He wore a golden robe, and around his neck hung his own emblem, but unlike Amaranth's, his glowed a deep purple, and at its center was a spark of light." She crossed to the dais and sat in the opposite chair. After a moment her grandfather's eyes opened and met hers. "'Good morning,' he said. "'Good morning,' Amaranth gestured at the candlestick. "'I'm ready to help.' "'I'm sorry, Amaranth. Not this time.' Amaranth stared at him. "'But I've been studying for weeks. You said this is one of the most vital tasks of a spirit singer.' "'It is,' said her grandfather. "'And you will learn it, I promise. But not today. I will forge the links alone.' "'But, Grandfather, you promised last week—' "'I've changed my mind.' He closed his eyes again. "'Grandfather,' without looking at her, he said, "'Please don't argue, Amaranth. I must concentrate. I suggest you prepare for your class. The children will be here shortly.' Amaranth, her lips pressed tightly together, rose from her chair and strode out through the curtained arch. 
There she banged her hand against the wooden banister of the stairs so hard it hurt, and muttered a few words she had learned from the cove-drift fisherman. Why, she thought angrily, why had her grandfather changed his mind? She knew she could make the link. She had read everything in the library on the subject, and they had practiced over and over. Only four days ago her grandfather had told her she was far more prepared than he had been when he had first assisted with a linking. Now he refused to let her help. What had changed? The dreams, she realized suddenly. It has to be the dreams. Grandfather is afraid of something. But what? And why should that make him mistrust me? She had no answers, and at last she went to the classroom as her grandfather had suggested, going by way of the kitchen, where Marta, the village woman whose week it was to help at the spirit singer's tower, hummed as she kneaded dough. Amaranth snagged bread and cheese from the pantry and chewed on them as she crossed the great hall, the rising sun casting bars of golden light through the eastern windows, high above the rock-ribbed walls. The hall's main doors of intricate...